Hello and welcome again to my podcast, John Lawton's English You Know. And the whole idea of this is to give people exposure to English language use around the world. And today I'm interviewing John Taylor, who I think would describe himself as something of a sports expert um, based in Chesterfield, Derbyshire in England. So you will hear John's wonderful accent. You may notice that mine is Mancunian, although I've traveled all around the world, lived all around the world. And it's rather disappeared slightly. So um, it has morphed and changed according to where I am. And I'm speaking very carefully now. If I was in Manchester, I would be speaking a lot more quickly. Uh, and John, what do you think about accents and accent use? Is it something that is very um, difficult to understand within England? Do people really appreciate that you can go just 10 miles and the accent is very, very different? It's true, it is. I mean, I, I'm one who really enjoys regional accents. And I'm very much of the opinion that they are gradually disappearing with television, radio, general media, and, and things are being imported, particularly from the States. And uh, you see local expressions gradually disappearing. So I find that very frustrating, that the, the texture of of life and the, the rich variety, I think is gradually being eroded. Yeah, and you said you see that as frustrating. Um, I must explain that I'm interviewing you over a distance today. So if you get the occasional dropout, we're either gonna edit or we'll, we'll go with it because this actually now, this form of communication at a distance using Zoom or Skype or um, Teams, other forms of distance communication are of course available, is the new norm. Um, it's not ideal, but it's actually the way that we're we're keeping in contact with each other. So uh, do excuse that if that should happen. Um, but particularly, John, today, um, first of all, say something about the virtual dinner parties that you've been involved in. Um, throw that one at you. You've, you've been taking part in those that we run on a Wednesday evening. Um, what do you feel the benefit of those have been to people who have taken part? I think the, the benefit has been... One, it's been fun because we've had some interesting comments and, and debate on, on various subjects. Uh, and I also think it has been very educational because even though I'm, English is my language, I've certainly gained quite a lot from the analysis of, of language and, and in particular the poetry session we did on Wednesday uh, poetry is not something I've ever engaged in, read a lot of, or, or really appreciated. But I honestly felt I learned a lot from just analysing that poem, The Hill We Climb. Um, and as I say, I, I thought it was both entertaining and educational. And, and I feel all the other sessions have been the same. Mm -hmm. um, I've... I've, I've come away every time feeling better for having gone through the thing yeah and that again i think is a, a useful um way of using the technology you know we brought nine to ten people around it's never more than 12 um online uh, to share ideas most people are second language speakers or using english as a foreign language uh, and again i've obviously introduced you into there because it's very helpful for people to be able to hear those different accents and to be able to communicate with people um, from around the world. So I'm going to carry on and try and get more global reach, get even more people involved. 
Uh, and more information about those are held on my uh, LinkedIn page at John Scott Lawton. So uh, look out for those if you wish. Right, let's come to our favorite subject. This is you and I have known each other for nearly 45 years now. So we, we really, really um, sort of know each other inside out, particularly around our interest in sport. So let's uh, focus on that. And we're looking at sporting idioms, so sporting phrases, which have somehow crept or made their way into wider English language use. And uh, you started our earlier discussion with a really interesting one from fishing, which I hadn't thought about. But um, hook, line and sinker, what do you think this means and where did it come from? Well, as I say, it's, it's from fishing. The hook is obvious because that's the bit that catches the fish. The, the line is the, obviously the line on the rod and the sinker is the thing that um, a lead weight that uh, drops the hook into the water. Um, so that's that's the origin of the thing. Um, but it generally means going the whole way. Uh, it's like somebody's said to fall for somebody hook, line and sinker. It means they're totally in love from the off. So they've gone all the way, you know, from, from moment one. So uh, an interesting phrase, I think. Yes. Yeah. And it's very interesting how, you know, it comes from a sport um, used probably within that sport um, for some time. And then all of a sudden somebody's picked it up and thought, well, I can apply that in a different way. Very interesting to think about how these phrases first make their way uh, into language. Um, boxing. Boxing is very rich in words which are used within um, wider English parlance, you might say, or English usage. Um, let's try, start with down and out. Um, obviously, sounds pretty uh, clear, but um, what do you take it to mean, down and out? Well, from the boxing perspective, it's a boxer's been knocked down and he's out, as in knocked out, therefore out of the contest, completely gone. Uh, and of course, it, it, it's morphed into often describing um, people who live on the streets who are, yes, down and out. So understandable how it's got into that kind of usage. And a similar one then will be out for the count. The count being the one to ten. Uh, and after 10 seconds in boxing, that's it. You're considered to have lost the bout. So that one uh, quite commonly used um, in other contexts as well. It is. It's not quite the same as down and out. I think out for the count is you're stunned and you're down and you need to get up in time or you're, you're out of the contest. Um, it, it is used uh, in wider English, but probably not quite as uh, widely as, uh, as down and out is. Mm -hmm. And saved by the bell? Save. That's a good one because obviously uh, struggling and um, on the back foot to use another sporting reference uh, and the bell comes in just before you might well get punched out so it's, it, it's a good one because it's uh, one where timing saves you from something that could be rather problematic. Mm -hmm. So we were running out of money, but we were saved by the bell. And you've put two concepts together there, and you get the sense that um, things changed or turned around just in time. Absolutely. Okay, one I hadn't really thought about is infighting. And if you think of political infighting, 
Um, it's that close quarter sparring, the close quarter fighting. When you're in the ring and you're holding or grappling onto each other, um, the body blows to the stomach um, or the back even, that's seen as infighting. Um, it's used within companies as well in business, isn't it, John? It is, yes. So if within a board one has infighting, generally it's you get two personalities who will be clashing within that uh, company and causes tension all around. Also in the political arena, of course, where political infighting is very much the order of the day all around the world, uh, where one would expect a party to be united and singing from the same hymn sheet but they're not they're full of political infighting you've uh, uh, thrown yes. in a church reference there with the singing off the same hymn sheet nothing to do with sport but do you want to explain that idiom singing off the same hymn sheet yes it's uh, it's every everybody being together and united uh, and it literally means in the church context one has the same piece of paper and is reading at the same time the same hymn so you are singing in unity mm -hmm. carry on with boxing we've got throw your hat in the ring um how did this one come about uh that's from the early days of boxing where there was a boxer there known as uh, as the champion or the uh, the, the, the contestant and they needed an opponent and um, the opponent was chosen by someone from the crowd literally taking their hat off and throwing it into the ring. And then they were chosen as the opponent. Absolutely. Um, we almost touched on this, but on the ropes, um, if somebody is on the ropes, what does that mean? It means generally they're losing, fighting a losing battle, uh, struggling and uh, barely staying uh, in the contest. Mm -hmm. And perhaps another one that's used in arguments is to pull one's punches, to pull one's punches. What does that yes, uh, say that, to you? that is not uh, fighting with all one's uh, normal vigour. And uh, in an argument, you might not be putting the full strength of your argument into it. So that would be pulling one's punches and finally although there are many more phrases in boxing to throw in the towel to throw in the towel that's to give up to concede uh, again it's an interesting um, phrase but it is straight from boxing because what would happen if a boxer was being beaten very badly but was not down um, the uh, the second would throw in the towel literally into the ring and that would stop the fight it means he'd conceded and the second is perhaps the trainer or a, a sparring partner with the boxer who obviously isn't fighting but they're there to wash the fighter down at the end of each ring uh, round and to support them so yes they're the one with the towel around their neck and they literally throw it into the ring to say stop it my my guy's had enough Yes, absolutely the case. Okay, let's come to a sport that you and I have played together a lot, but uh, we are both absolutely rubbish at, and that's cricket. We love it to death, but, you know, we would just love we could uh, play it a bit better. Um, <laughs> obvious, obviously, cricket is quite esoteric as a sport, quite special, and it has to be explained to many foreign foreign people um, 
other than perhaps in the former colonies of uh, the United Kingdom, where cricket, of course, is played um, very, very commonly and very well and often better than uh, the English team do, although we're on a bit of a resurgence. But some of the words that have made their way from uh, cricket parlance, cricket terminology into wider language use include words like sticky wicket. Sticky wicket, yes, that's a good one. Uh, in cricket, it generally was where there'd be an overnight rain on an uncovered pitch, and therefore the wicket itself had a degree of stick to it, meant the ball came through in a difficult fashion for batsmen, very, very difficult to uh, and so it now gets translated into general usage, whereby anything that is unbelievably difficult to achieve can be said to be batting on a sticky wicket. Okay. And one again with great historical uh, relevance and reference is the hat trick. The hat trick, yes, because apparently in the early days of the game, if a bowler took three wickets in three successive balls, he could claim a hat as his prize, which was a pretty amazing thing to do. Uh, and therefore the hat trick became um, three. Uh, and it's still referred to today in cricket, three uh, wickets with successive balls is the hat trick. And in football, it's now become uh, three goals in a game is known as the hat trick. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting point we're going to make in a minute about the um, the derivation of words or the etymology where they came from, both from cricket and football, and seem to be far more terms have made their way into English from cricket than from football, and we believe that to be something of a class issue. But I'll pick that point up in a minute. Two I like, and my students, particularly in Slovakia, have asked me to sometimes explain, used in the business um, field again, on the front foot and on the back foot, what the heck is going on there? Well, generally, if one's on the front foot, one is attacking and moving forward. Uh, so if, if, if you, you've got the ascendancy in an argument, you might be said to be on the front foot. Uh, your uh, counter in the argument might be said to be on the back foot because they are defending and using defensive terminology uh, in that argument. So, yeah, very much cricketing parlance. Mm-hmm. and um, a wider one it's just not cricket it's just not cricket yes that's that's uh, that is an interesting one because traditionally cricket is seen as a, a gentlemanly and sporting game where nothing underhand would take place and therefore uh, if something underhand was taking place in whatever arena we might be talking business or general life somebody not behaving in a gentlemanly or sporting fashion uh, might be said to be, well, it's just not cricket to behave like that. Okay. And then one which is very definitely from cricket, excuse me, to be knocked for six. Knocked for six, yes, absolutely. Well, a six, of course, is the highest score from a single ball in cricket when... uh, one uh, knocks the thing over the ropes as a batsman. And so to be knocked for six as a bowler can be something quite traumatic. And to be knocked for six could be described as something surprising or didn't expect that or, or even traumatic. Yeah. 
and one which maybe cricket or many other ball sports could claim it is to keep your eye on the ball. Yes, it is. To keep your eye on the ball is, is obviously something that's in general usage and again in business usage where one needs to keep abreast of the situation, whatever it may be, keeping up with uh, whatever is going on in a business is to keep one's eye on the ball. And of course, in cricket, as a fielder, you need to do that to ensure that you field it in a sensible fashion or you could end up looking silly. And again, it's the same in business. If you don't keep abreast of what's happening, you can end up looking silly. Okay. Um, yes, just looking at that, keep your eye on the ball is a very good example of how you don't use, uh, when you're trying to understand these idiomatic expressions, um, you don't sort of take the meaning of every individual word. You have to take them collectively because you don't literally put your eye onto the ball, hopefully, uh, otherwise you'll get a black eye. You basically are idiomatically focusing on something, watching it, paying attention to it, making sure it doesn't hurt you or get in the way. So keeping your eye on the ball, a very good example of how idioms have to be read collectively as a phrase and not individually word for word. Yes, precisely. Okay, let's come to our, um, well, we said cricket was our favourite sport, and it just shows we have a favourite winter sport as well, football. And here we said that we've, even though we've both been watching it for over 100 years collectively between the pair of us, um, we could think of very few expressions which very definitely have come from football. And by football, we don't mean American football. We mean English soccer, as some would call it, or association football. Um and even the first one, we're not sure about. It could be from uh, basketball or some other sport. But out of the box or outside the box, um, what do you think of box. that? Yes, I mean, shots from outside the box are a common footballing thing, with the box being the penalty area. It's more often referred to as the box than the penalty area. And thinking outside the box has certainly in the last 30 years become something of a, of a business term. Um, but uh, whether it's come from football or not is another thing. Um, you know, thinking outside the box, thinking laterally, thinking further afield than one normally would usually do, or in a wider sense, it could be the same as a, a shot from outside the box, but yeah, it's not obvious that that one has that route, but it does work. Yeah, I've seen an argument that says that it's from the intelligence test that uh, children used to be asked to do with nine dots. They had to draw with five lines, um, joining them all together, join all the nine dots, and you can only do it by going literally outside the box of nine dots. Denzel Washington gives a, a motivational speech about that. So I think that could be contested. Um, on the ball, though? On the ball, yes. If someone's on the ball, they have the football and are running with it. And so on the ball is somebody who is uh, alert and doing what they should be and moving forward generally. Mm -hmm. Again, perhaps in business, you might use the phrase, he missed an open goal, uh, taken to be missed an opportunity. But can you just describe for us uh, what an open goal is in football? <laughs> an open goal in football would generally be when uh, the forward is 
maybe a few feet from the actual goal. The goalkeeper's absent. There is absolutely no one between him and the goal and missing it is an incredibly, unbelievably difficult thing to do and terrible. Uh, but <laughs> it happens. People do miss open goals. Yes. And then similar one to score an own goal. He scored an own goal with that idea. Yes, exactly. So an own goal is obviously in football, putting the ball in one's own net and uh, scoring an own goal certainly... Uh, in, in business might be to say something really stupid that makes one look um, hopelessly incompetent in a business meeting, for instance, uh, that could be said to be scoring an own goal. And just come back to this point about class. We believe that football is more of a working class sport, and certainly that's where it started in Lancashire and my home county and moving through and having 12 teams originally in the very first football league. Um, and the oldest club in the world, of course, although I see some people are contesting this, but it's in Sheffield, very close to where you live. Um, and the terms that have come into um, wider use are very few and far between within association football, but far more with cricket. So with cricket being a gentleman's sport, and they would play players who would be uh, amateurs versus uh, gentlemen, um, you believe that with the middle class playing more ball sports, particularly more cricket, they used and drove the language use uh, with these expressions that we're talking about today? Yes, I do believe that's that's the case. I, I, I think because generally the ball, bat and ball sports traditionally were played by the more educated classes uh, we've got more expressions coming from uh, those sports. Mm -hmm. Okay. One that if we played it, certainly you would have this happening, rugby and the hospital pass. Oh, the hospital pass, yes. Uh, one such that it puts the recipient uh, in, in danger of being hospitalised because uh, they're so close to a tackle uh, that... Uh, it's almost guaranteed they'll end up injured. So it's, it's a poor pass that uh, puts the recipient in danger of injury. Okay. Uh, and that, of course, has migrated to football subsequently. Um, horse racing seems to have given us many expressions. And this may this is an interesting one because horses are obviously owned more likely by very rich people who can afford to train them, feed them, keep them, and then race them, but watched by many people, including working class people who take horse racing or the watching of horse racing and betting on horse racing as very popular. Uh, phrases like on the home straight, what does that mean? Well, basically where one is towards the end of a task. Uh, so one is approaching the, the final part of something. Um, so that's how it is in, in um, general usage. And obviously in the sporting context, it's the horses are coming towards the finishing post. So the home straight being the, the end part of the course after the, the last hurdle, if it's a steeplechase, mm -hmm. uh, and it's generally a straight run to the finishing post. Okay, you mentioned hurdles there. Can you just first of all describe hurdles for those who perhaps don't know the sport, and what the first and last hurdle mean in other contexts? 
Yes, I mean, the, the, the hurdle in horse racing is a fence uh, essentially made of branches of trees. Um, so probably I'm trying to think how high they might be, five foot high, perhaps. Uh, and the horses jump them. And uh, yes, in, in, in modern terminology, getting to the, over the first hurdle means, again, you've got some project or ongoing task where you've achieved the first objective. So that's obviously often described as the first hurdle. And the last hurdle would be you've got towards the end and you've uh, jumped the last fence and therefore uh, on your way to finishing the task, project, or whatever. And one that's used a lot in politics um, and political systems is first past the post. Explain that first of all in the sporting context and then how it's used in politics. Well, first past the post would be the winning horse uh, going past the winning post. Um, certainly in UK politics, we have a first past the post system. So in every parliamentary constituency, uh, the winner is the one who gets most votes. So first past the post. Mm -hmm. So the, and the winner might well get a fairly small proportion of the vote. Um, can often be not not much over thirty percent. But if you've got two more votes than the, the next uh, participant candidate, you won by the first past the post system. Mm -hmm. And often to win by a nose. Pardon? To win by a nose? Well, yes, again, that's a winning by a very, very small margin. Uh, one might have said that of the uh, last but one um, election, um, general election, where the crew and Nantwich candidate uh, won by a mere 21 votes in a constituency that has something like 100. 10,000 voters. Okay. Sorry, you just lost it. 100 and odd thousand. 140,000, did you say? 110, I believe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, golf, just one we picked out was par for the course. That's used in, in common usage. Par for the course. Par for the course. Yes, it's about what one would expect. So if you do things something in the obvious fashion and uh, or with the obvious result, that's par for the course. Mm -hmm. So if a hole should take people five shots to get in uh, and they do it in five, they've got par yeah, in the golf term. Absolutely. Yes, in golf terms, that's the way that runs. Okay, one of your favourite sports, one I struggle to understand, although I have been to a game in America, is baseball. Now, baseball has a huge number of terms which have been brought into uh, regular palace. In more recent years, uh, it's become increasingly prevalent to use baseball in terms in England. Um, ballpark is one in particular. Uh, in my previous uh, life as an accountant, quite often uh, uh, the senior management would ask me for a ballpark figure. So um, rough approximation of, of, um, of a figure uh, coming from presumably a shot that could land anywhere within the ballpark or the stadium as uh, one might uh, 
more widely call it, mm -hmm. what the Americans always call their baseball stadium a ballpark. Yeah. And let's play ball comes from that as well, yeah? It certainly does. Um, that's a fairly obvious one. Yeah. Now, um, what about playing hardball? Playing hardball generally seems to be something used in business again, and it, it essentially means playing baseball with the hardball rather than the same game that's played at the junior level, softball, which is used as a softer ball. But yes, playing hardball generally means really doing business in, in hard, um, very tough ways. Um, yeah. Having a strong position. Played. Yes. Yeah. Defending a strong position, being quite competitive. Some would say mean, um, but certainly edging on aggressive. Yeah. Yes. Edging on aggressive, indeed. Okay. So the final one, um, very baseball oriented, I believe, stepping up to the plate. So you might need to explain the plate, the but plate. yes, that in baseball is when the batter comes to uh, to his at bat, um, and the plate is the first base. Uh, sorry, is the, is the home plate, um, which is effectively fourth base. Uh, and someone stepping up to the plate is generally somebody probably more than doing their duty, going a bit above and beyond. Uh, so when they've done something particularly brave, impressive or whatever, they might said to be stepping up to the plate. Okay. So that's really interesting. So this has been two old fellas talking about their favourite uh, activities of sport. Um, but very interesting to see how language use changes over time and will continue to change. And as new sports come in, uh, people will borrow language from that sport and bring it into regular um, dialogue, into regular discussions, regular usage. And um, there's a very interesting Wikipedia page on this. And in fact, for baseball, there are two more pages, one of which interestingly talks about sexual references from baseball, where you can leave that one aside, um, mentioning the bases, uh, but then a lot of other terms from baseball that have made their way into American English. And as you just said, being brought now into international English and even British English. Yes, it is quite remarkable how that sport's done that. Um, and, and I'm not sure why it's been used more in, in England now, probably being dragged in through business. I mean, certainly in my own experience, the company I worked for uh, had a US base and, and Gradually, over the years, we could see terms being brought over uh, from the Americans. And again, I think because of the wider international media we get these days, uh, it does help that uh, we understand the Americans more and so we drag in more of their terminology. Mm -hmm. and, and would you... Very rich in that. Would you say that uh, idiomatic language like uh, these phrases we've used today are used as much in American English as in British English in your experience in business? Oh, I very much think they are, yes. Um, it, it's one of the things that the Americans do. And then, certainly in the business I was in, which was IT, there was a lot of that, although obviously there was a ridiculous amount of... Uh, acronyms in that uh, 
<coughs> that game. Uh, and and, and oh, that was very frustrating because uh, another feature of languages can, can be very divisive because there can be in phrases and in acronyms that uh, those of us not in the know <laughs> felt excluded by. Yes, very um, much so. I mean, you used one yourself. Another of language. Yes, we'll pick that up in another program. IT you used as an acronym, information technology, as was. But uh, yes, the number of acronyms or short forms using the first letter of each of the word, uh, making an acronym, that is worth a program in itself because it really does yeah. exclude people, as you said, if they're used inappropriately. Very much so, and and there were certain individuals who deliberately did that, and uh, one found them very frustrating. Okay, well, thank you very much, John. Um, get away to your sport today. I know you'll be watching your favourite Chesterfield FC, the Spyrites, playing um, football is still continuing at uh, certain levels within England. Obviously, lower <laughs> non-league isn't, but uh, you're going to watch that on a live stream today, I believe. Indeed, that is the case, although it might be the last game because I believe the clubs are voting on uh, a proposition as to whether they can continue because of um, funding issues at, at the league level. So um, it's a case of watch this space. Hopefully something will be resolved and uh, the games will continue, but... Uh, we won't know until Monday, I believe. Okay. Well, enjoy the game while we can. I'm certainly missing my football, but um, nice to speak to you, John. Thank you very right, much well. for that. Very illuminating. Um, we'll pick up more phrases as we go through this series and uh, come back to you on some other sporting issues. So thank Excellent. you once again, John. My pleasure. Okay.